letter uh, to Timothy, 2 Timothy and chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. As you're turning, I'll welcome those who might be watching uh, from home or later on the recorded message. As I've already shared with the congregation here, I'm not 100% today and I've got trouble with my eyes, but uh, God's word is plain and I'll just try to hold it forth and trust he will bless all who hear and consider his word. Let me read our text. I'd like to start in verse 14, then down through verse 17 of God's holy word. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. May the Lord bless the reading, hearing, believing, and obeying of his word. Amen. Uh, Some folks uh, who have been with me over the decades know that at the end of the year, uh, it's a burden on my heart to pray to preach on one of a few topics, either uh, the return of Christ uh, as we change numbers and mark 2023 and then go to 2024 A.D. Someday we will not turn that page again. Christ will come. Another topic is uh, we like to focus on is prayer. And we'll do that for sure with our prayer week coming up. And then the other topic that I often uh, must keep before myself and my friends as one year passes is the precious gift of God's word, what it is and why we have it and what we should do with it. So that's today as we talk about the three purposes of the Bible Let me tell you that how you approach the Bible, how you think of the Bible, makes a huge difference. How do you use the Bible? And you know what? I think I've got a whole room of Bible users to talk to this morning. This is preaching to people who need to be clear on these very things. But it's also for everyone who would want to pick up a Bible. What is it? How is it to be used? Why do we have it? You see, if you treat the Bible, and I'm not going to keep lifting mine up, it's, it's rather large. Uh, if you keep treating the Bible in an inappropriate way, for instance, if you treat it just as some kind of holy talisman, I have a Bible, I keep it close by, and you know what a talisman is, an, an object that has magical powers, or uh, it, it can bless you simply by its presence or its touch. That's not how we are to use the Bible. Simply owning it, simply opening it from time to time, will not profit you in some magical, mystical way. And you know, the Bible is not your personal oracle. Yes, the Bible contains the oracles of God, we'll get to that, but 
It's not your personal oracle, and I'm thinking in terms of the Greek or pagan way, where you need some wisdom and you'd rush off and consult the oracle and say, hey, if I give you some money, will you tell my future? Will you give me advice? Help me make a decision. And some people, that's all the Bible is. It's like, dear Abby, or your horoscope, only it's acceptable because you're a Christian and you, you kind of open it up. Um, and that way did not work. Uh, and you look for another verse. The Bible's not your personal oracle. And whether you're reading the Bible or you happen to read Daily Bread, and oh, this verse, a solo verse, maybe not even in context, and you run with it in the way you want it to run. We have to be careful not to use the Bible as though it were uh, a, a permission slip for our own thinking, or our own techniques in seeking guidance and help. And, and you know fellow believers, the Bible is also not just a reference work to keep on the shelf when you need to figure out what's wrong with something or what, what God thinks about something. It's not just a reference work that you consult at your leisure. It does contain the truth of God indeed. But it is not just useful examples, useful data for you and your agenda. You see, it's important for us to regularly stop and consider the purpose that God sent his word into the world. The reason we have God's word written, 66 books, Old Testament and New Testament. We need to know what the Bible is and why God gave it. This... uh, Lesson: The three purposes of the Bible was one of the very first lessons I heard as a young believer. I'd been in church and, and learned a few things from the mainline church I attended. But when I was converted at age 18, my best friend who was a, a year or two older in Christ, Ron, uh, I remember it was, I think, one of his first lessons he ever gave. It may have even been a sermon. I don't even remember what the context or setting was. A sermon to a youth group. And he had prepared a, a, a handout. And Ron could draw a little cartoon character. So there was a cartoon character with each of the three points. And 40 some years later, I remember that message. And it has helped me. Its simplicity and its clarity is not only memorable, but it's compelling. And so that's what I want you to be able to take away. Even if I can't draw the diagrams the same way, the three purposes of the Bible, that you would remember them for yourself and remember them every time you open the Bible and seek to work with God's purposes for the Bible and not just your own. As you reflect on the year past and think about the year to come, whether you make resolutions or not, you're, you're going to be entering the new year, I presume. Uh, do you know the great gift that you have in the Bible? So before I get to the three purposes, I do have a heading here that that presents simply what is the Bible. Um, That should be really easy to answer in just a few moments, right? Uh, The most significant book on the face of the planet, uh, more copies of it than any other book ever written or assembled, in more languages than any other book written or assembled, and it continues to be one of the best sellers, even in this great age. Let's say three things about the Bible, and let's have uh, Timothy's passage open, because Timothy will give us some of this language. When Paul was writing to Timothy, who was a Christian, was a pastor already. 
He was a preacher like this young budding preacher. And Paul tells Timothy, he describes the Bible with a couple phrases. He calls it sacred writings or holy writings. And then he uses the simpler word for scripture. And every time that word scripture is used in the New Testament, it refers to God's writings. And so that's what he calls it. it we first know the Bible is the authoritative inspired word of God. These are no normal writings. And why do I add word of God to that list? Well, this is what the passage is also famous for. As uh, Paul writes to Timothy, he says that all scripture, verse 16, is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. The Greek term there is very unique. In fact, it didn't exist in Greek literature in the Bible or outside the Bible until Paul wrote it right there. He took two words, theos for God and nuptos for the spirit and said, God breathed out this book. God breathed out the scriptures, the holy writings. And so this translation, God breathed out, is the best translation. To say, uh, to say that it's breathed out uh, stresses the divine origin and the authority of scripture. Paul does not point to the human authors of scripture as inspired people, but says that the writings themselves are the words spoken, breathed out by God. So it's the written word of God. And as God's word, they are also infallible and inerrant. You hear those two terms quite a bit when the scriptures are described as part of our theology, our doctrine, infallible and inerrant, describes the nature of the Bible. This book is, is different than any other document because of it. What do those words mean? Infallible means it's incapable of making an error. And inerrant means it doesn't contain any errors. So that covers all the bases. We should note that this book, inspired and inerrant, and infallible as it is, this book is not divine. We don't worship the book. But these words are God's words. And they're translated into our language. We should also avoid the error of thinking with the neo-Orthodox people like Karl Barth and some others that the, the word of God is contained in the Bible um, the Bible contains the word of God rather than is the word of God. So the neo-Orthodox would say, try reading the Bible and if something strikes you, it becomes the word of God. Or as you go through and you find something really meaningful, that's the word of God, but maybe not this part. Oh, the whole Bible is God's word. We could go on to speak about verbal inspiration, plenary inspiration, verbal meaning the actual words, plenary inspiration, meaning the whole is inspired by God. And we can talk more about that. Please let me know if you have some questions about that. But we also want to say, secondly, the Bible is not just a record, but a revelation of God. It's not just a record, but a revelation. It's not just a history book. It's not just a reference book. These are stories about God. This is God speaking and making himself known. We're not going to say parts of the Bible are autobiographical. That's not exactly the sense. But when God puts this 
in our hands, he is revealing himself. So it is revelation, self-disclosure, God making himself known to us um, in this special way. He does reveal himself in a general way in creation. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. But he goes on in a special way through his word to make himself known. The Bible talks about that in many places. Uh, one example would be Ezekiel 38, verse 23. At the end of that chapter, uh, the Lord says, So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. God speaks and reveals, whether through prophets or through his son, to make himself known. That's revelation. That's not just a record. That's revelation. And what's the aim there? Do you see it? Our creator God wants to have a relationship. He wants to be known. He wants to engage. I love this quote from J.I. Packer. It's found in his wonderful book, uh, one of the top ten Christian classics uh, in English. Knowing God by J.I. Packer. If you, I'm just curious, how many people have read it or, or know about it? That's a, good, that's a good sign. But I encourage you all, if you're looking for some reading in the new year, uh, J.I. Packer's Knowing God. He says this about the revelation of God, our creator. For although God is a great king, it is not his wish to live at a distance from his subjects. Rather, the reverse he made us with the intention that he and we might walk together forever in a love relationship. But such a relationship can only exist when the parties involved know something of each other. God, our maker, knows all about us before we say anything. But, can we, but we can know nothing about him unless he tells us. So we have the Bible as a self-revelation of God. And by the way, the Bible alone is the source of many vital truths. I wanted to squeeze this in somewhere in, the, uh, in our outline because I'm saying it's a personal message. But it also does convey to us vital information across the board. The things we need to know. Let me just move quickly. The Bible alone. Think of all the books in the world. The Bible alone gives us a reasonable and true account of creation. The Bible alone gives us the true picture of mankind, how we got into this mess and what we are really like. The Bible alone gives us a true picture of the broken world in which we live, gives us true views of God, our maker. And the Bible alone gives us a clear view of God's plan of salvation. So he makes himself known, and with that revelation gives us all this other valuable information. J.C. Ryle talks about the, the contents of the Bible that I've just alluded to. He says all these things which men could find nowhere except in the scriptures. We have probably not the least idea how little we should know about these things if we had not the Bible. We hardly know the value of the air we breathe, and the sun which shines because we have never known what it is to be without him. Surely no tongue can fully tell the value of the treasures this one volume contains. The extraordinary contents of the Bible, says J.C. Ryle, 
are great fact which can only be explained by admitting its inspiration. Mark well what I say, in the matter of contents, the Bible stands entirely alone, and no other book is fit to be named in the same day with it. Well, the Bible, the Word of God, let's leave it at that. Now let's get to the main point. What are the purposes of the Bible. Why do we have the Bible? God's making himself known. So what, what is his aim? Well, we can probably surmise the following things. Number one, to draw people to Christ and in Christ into a relationship with himself. These three purposes all use active language in both the verbs and the preposition. And if you have your sermon note sheet, you see them each laid out already. Purpose number one, to draw people to Christ. Purpose number two, to build people up in Christ. And purpose number three, to send people out for Christ. Very simple and very specific. And if we remember those purposes for which God gave his word, it will keep us from misuse of our Bible and hopefully neglect. Our passage, Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3 in verse 15, he mentions, writing to this young man, that the scriptures are able to save. The scriptures are able to save. He says, but you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, verse 14, knowing from whom you learned it, and verse 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What? That's amazing. This book God gives us that we might be right with him through Jesus Christ. This book has the answer, the antidote to our sin and brokenness, our guilt, our shame, and our foreboding death. This book, a gospel of grace. This book is given to make all these things known that people would be drawn to Christ, that people would be saved. Thomas Boston's collected works, I think they're 12 volumes, does that sound right? 12 volumes, just been republished. Wonderful to read that. I'm so excited that volume one, you wonder where does a guy start with his collected works? Volume one is all about, the first part is all about the Bible. And he has a sermon on the same text. And he makes the simple point at the beginning. He says, we are poor blind creatures. I could identify with that these days with all my eye trouble. But he's making the spiritual point. We are poor blind creatures that know not our way in this world. We know not how to find our God, our purpose, hope, or help. So there's a necessity to having this book if we are to draw near to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Even in the Old Testament, when God called a people to himself, brought them to Mount Sinai, gave them the Torah, gave them the law, why did he do that? Well, for many reasons, but one of them is to make his people a light to the nations, to help his people dwell in his presence and be his people. In the New Testament, John 20 tells us the purpose of the Gospel of John. The author is writing, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these things are written... Gospel of John, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I would say perhaps the first, if not the greatest, purpose of God's written revelation is to see people reclaimed. It's a message of salvation. It's, it, it, it comes to people who haven't even sent up our SOS. And the scriptures come and make known to us the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the older days, it was prophecies. A virgin will bear a son and, and you shall call him Emmanuel. And he said, to us, a son is given. The prophecies are then followed up with the fulfillment. Who is this Jesus? I am the son of God. I am the good shepherd. I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus gives us the answers. This, the book records them, and it records the preaching of the first Christians, what the gospel is. The book is aimed to draw people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you ignore that purpose for the Bible, I think you're out of step with God's work in the world. If the Bible is just for you to remember all the kings of Judah and Israel, to remember the, uh, you know, the geography of the Holy Land, uh, I don't see that on God's heart as a significant purpose. First and foremost, to see individuals drawn to God through Jesus Christ. And the Bible is sufficient for our salvation. The law of God tells us what sin is. And the law awakens in us our guilt and our shame, brings us under conviction through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the law of God also identifies the sinless one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it also spells out the fact that there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. The Bible explains the salvation in its context and shows us the gospel, how it all fits together. Romans 10 verse 17 is very explicit. Romans 9 and 10 has a lot about coming to faith in Christ. But 10.17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The words of Jesus, the word of God, given to draw men to Christ. That's the first purpose of the Bible. So let me ask, by way of application, has it drawn you? Have you been drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ? I can remember at age 17 trying to track with my friend in the Bible, reading with desperation page after page, trying to underline what he underlined and having a darkness on my mind. And I also remember opening that Bible after I had been born again. And the Spirit showed me the very things that I had been told, the very things I was reaching after, are true. The Bible draws people to Christ. Even as we struggle to perceive it, the Spirit gives us understanding. The Spirit issues that effectual call. And with the coming of the gospel, he opens our heart and minds to the beauty of Christ. Purpose number two of the Bible is to build people up in Christ. To build people up. I'm not strictly looking at edification, but I'm looking at sanctification and just everything else in the Christian life. You see, the new birth is followed by taking in the milk of the word and then the meat of the word. Both metaphors are used in the scriptures. Milk first. And then meet Peter, 
1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Uh, just uh, on Christmas Day, I got to meet my newest grandson uh, named uh, uh, Peter, no, what am I saying? Jack Andrew Bissett. Oh boy. Um, yeah, I'm skipping a beep. Uh, and, and what was fun is he's such a cute and calm baby. Very little crying, except when he was hungry. And you knew what he wanted. He wanted that milk. When Christians are born again, we cry out uh, for that spiritual milk. And God's word is where it's found. Peter goes on to write in his second letter, chapter 1, about this word of God. His divine power has granted to us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Peter knows that through knowledge of him, seizing upon his great and precious promises, we are transformed and we begin to take on the likeness of Christ. That's what Christian means. It means like little Christ follower. It's through God's word, through the knowledge of him who calls us. Jesus prayed for us in John 17, and in verse 17, he asked God to sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. So if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a growing, healthy Christian, if you want to be a holy, Christ-like Christian, you need access and time in the Word of God. It will build you up in Christ. And again, let me move quickly and summarize. The Bible informs us about all we need to know and do. Here's a brief summary. It tells us who God is and how to worship Him. How is God to be worshipped? His Word prescribes it. How do we walk the Christian walk? How do we pray? The Bible answers these questions. How do we find wisdom and make right choices? Where do we find guidance for a godly life? And yes, guidance is found in this book. If not explicitly by good and necessary inference. <clears throat> I was counseling someone about uh, what's wrong with smoking marijuana and that's a big topic but I said well he says it's not mentioned in the Bible I go well it's not mentioned by name but let's look at this verse that says in, in Ephesians I recall do not be drunk with wine but be filled with the spirit you talk about drunkenness we talk about the physical effect of an external substance when taken in is something that God doesn't like can we, by good and necessary inference, apply God's word and make a decision about this present question? It's helpful, and it will build you up. It gives you wisdom. All about the local church and life and, and relating to fellow believers. The Bible has a lot to say about one anothering. And it also informs us how to relate to the world, how to deal with temptation, how to deal with sin. This book is is a manual for how to live, and it will build you up in Christ. It's so much more than a textbook. There's a wonderful Martin Luther quote. Remember Martin Luther responsible for the early stages of the Reformation and getting God's word out of Latin and into the language of the people, which for him was German. 
And Luther's German translation of the Bible is still used today. He said, I've made a covenant with God that he sends me neither visions, dreams, nor even angels. I am well satisfied with the gift of the Holy Scriptures, which give me abundant instruction in all that I need to know, both for this life and for that which is to come. Very good. Good job, Martin. And we have that in this passage. Paul said that this book is able to fit us for every good work. Everything the Christian is called to do and to be. This book. The second purpose of the Bible, to build people up in Christ. Is it building you up? Let me challenge you. It's uh, the turn of the year and we'll be inundated, I'm sure, on the television screens with weight loss plans, weight loss help. You can go low, you can go high. No, you don't want to go high, you want to go low. Whatever the ads are and people and their testimonials, good for them. Think about your spiritual health. Are you feeding upon the word of God and growing and living a healthy spiritual life? The third purpose, as we're talking about them this morning, first to draw people to Christ, the second is to build people up in Christ, and the third is to send people out for Christ. Oh, actually, my, one of my favorite quotes I don't want to skip over um, that belongs to that second purpose, building up in Christ. Um, I think downstairs on the round table, I'm, I'm scanning for Marion so I can see a nodding head, we put out a Bible reading guide for the coming year. And you can check off, I've read this chapter, I've read that chapter, and it's something I've done every year just so we have an easy way to keep track of our Bible reading. In that product, that Bible reading pamphlet, there is this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones talking about the importance of Bible reading for the health of our faith. So it's an important quote. If you want to have strong faith, read your Bible. Go through it from beginning to end. Concentrate on the revelation that God has given of himself and his character. Keep your eyes especially also on prophecy and then watch his promises being fulfilled. That is the way to develop strong faith and to be grounded in all this. Then read the historic portions of the Bible and the stories of the great heroes. That is why the author of the epistle to the Hebrews gives that gallery of portraits of these great saints in the 11th chapter. He says, look at these men who were men like yourselves. What was their secret? It was that they knew God, they gave glory to God, and relied utterly upon him and his word. Turn that over in your mind. Keep on speaking to yourself about it. Meditate upon it. Then finally, you apply all that in practice to particular cases as they arise in your own life and experience. That is the secret of our faith. It is our ignorance of God that constitutes our main trouble. Read your Bible if you want to have strong faith. Okay, now to the third purpose, to send people out for Christ. To send people out for Christ. As Paul wrote to Timothy, the Bible prepares us for every good work. That also includes our commission to go, to be witnesses, to be missionaries, to spread the word, to go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain. That 
Jesus Christ is born, that the Savior of the world has come. That's part of our task. And the Bible is written to give us that mission and to send us out for Christ. We're referring here to our service unto God and even using the old phrase, soul winning. We're to go out to see sinners, souls saved from destruction. Hopefully you know Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Teaching disciples. The Bible is involved in this task. Go with your Bible in hand and open it. Open the scriptures. And show how the Lord Jesus Christ fulfills our needs. And provides us salvation. and, And connects us with the Father. The Great Commission is one of our duties. And if you read that in the scriptures and you see the early Christians doing so in the book of Acts... You have your marching orders. Jesus was explicit at the beginning of the book of Acts. Acts 1 verse 8. He said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You'll be witnesses. Well how does that work? Well God calls us not simply into a saving relationship with himself. But into service in the kingdom. We're saved to serve. Jesus came and gave himself as a ransom for many. And he calls us to take that message as his ambassadors to those who need to hear it. Please note, we don't need a new message for today. But we need new messengers. Billy Graham has passed away. And Charles Spurgeon is no longer preaching. We need new messengers, not a new message. And in fact, there are some mission fields that you may be the only Christian in those circles. Whether it's in the workplace or in your family tree or in your neighborhood. Or with a stranger. You've been given information about God. You've been brought into a relationship with God. You've been built up in Christ-likeness. You are to go. The Bible wants you to go. To send you out for Christ. Let me ask, if you're reading your Bible, are you getting the urge to tell others what you're reading? When you read your Bible, aware of one of the purposes God has for it and for you, do you feel called to say something to someone? You see, if we don't understand why God's given the Bible and we just turn it into another consumable good, it ends with us. My friends, that should not be. The Bible is is a great gift, but it is also a tool and a lamp and a light. 
and a source of life in its message. It wasn't given to you just to end with you. The word of God will continue. And we should tell others, come and see, hear. Our closing exhortations follow these broad points pretty closely. The first one is is perhaps the hardest hitting one, so let's get that done first. If you're hearing what God's word is saying, do not neglect your Bible. If you've understood something of what's being preached today, my charge to you is do not neglect your Bible. Now listen to how I'm wording that. Do not neglect your Bible. Is there a verb missing in there? Do I mean don't neglect reading? That's included. But I mean you can read and let your eyes gloss over the page. Do not neglect meditating on the Bible. Do not neglect memorizing parts of the Bible. Some verses that have been so helpful to me um, are those that I've hidden in my heart. Whoever wrote Psalm 119 said, Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119 verse 105, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Do you have the promises of God? You see, to neglect your Bible is very subtle. The word neglect is to fail to use or care for properly. I thought of a lot of ways to illustrate neglect. I thought most of them were pretty sad. I didn't really want to go into it. Neglect is is sometimes below the radar, not like open abuse. Neglect is is miserly care, inappropriate use, idle attention. Neglect can happen in a relationship. My friends, you dare not neglect the word of God. For in it, God speaks to us. In it, God meets with us. God's word is a means of grace to the believer. God's word is manna from heaven. When we say do not neglect your Bible, it covers everything that you should be doing with your Bible. Fundamentally, reading, meditating, reflecting on it, and memorizing it. I I try not to ram memorization down anyone's throat. I try to model it, and I haven't added a lot of verses. I've, I've got them a, a handful, but are we making that effort? Let's not neglect our Bible. We're without excuse. We have more time than most any other generation on the planet. We have more resources. You can bring up a Bible verse on your phone. Do not neglect your Bible. Second exhortation. Plan to read and know the whole of the Bible. Plan to read and know the whole of the Bible. We all have favorite parts. But God didn't just send a a postcard. He sent a book. 
And there's a story from Genesis to Revelation. And there are passages in the story that inform other parts of the story. If you don't always understand the book of Hebrews, it's because you haven't read as much in the Old Testament to see the, the sacrificial system or the priesthood or some of the other imagery. It's a whole work by a single author. Although it was written over a, a millennium and a half by over 40 human authors. It's a work of the Holy Spirit with God as its author. It begins in a garden, it ends in a garden. Plan to read and know the whole Bible. And I can put in parentheses here the word eventually. Not going to twist your arm to get it done this week or this year. But is it your goal? Do you see it as a worthy goal? Not just one to do so that you can boast. I remember learning from my mom early on that she'd read the Bible dozens of times. She showed me one Bible that had marks that one Bible alone she had read seven times. She showed me her system. She put a little dot next to the chapter number. Sure enough, there's seven little dots. She'd gone through it seven times. Her Thompson Chain King James Bible. Who has that? And when I heard that, I said, oh, I want to do that too. To share the goal. But the goal is to know the Lord. And to be Christ-like in all your ways. And you will be helped when you take in the whole of God's word and don't just cherry pick. What is the chief end of man, asks the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And I hope you know the answer. Man's chief goal, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I think we need to read his book to do that and to do it well. So the emphasis here is on to plan, to plan some reading, to plan some meditation. If you're going to meditate on something, one one tip. If I've read a chapter or two in my morning devotions, is there a single verse I can take out of that and copy into my planner? Is there a single point that I can write down and reflect on from what I read? And not just X out chapter 17 and chapter 18. There are certain verses that are so important that you need to meditate upon them. And maybe memorize them. And you know, any Christian planning requires Christian praying. So if you're going to make a plan, it also means you're going to pray. And let me remind you. How Isaiah tried to encourage the Lord, encourage us through what Isaiah wrote in chapter 40. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. I can stop right at verse 29. You know, the next verse has eagle's wings in it, but I'm feeling tired and faint. I underline that, so I'm putting that in today. If I get to the end of the sermon, it's because God gives power to the faint. If you aim to read the whole Bible, at some point in your life, God will help you in that endeavor. He will help you, and you should do it. Finally, the last exhortation matches that final purpose of the Bible. Share with others what you're reading. 
Share with others what you're reading. And that's very broad. It can be a lead into witnessing or it can just be an encouragement to others. When pastors get together, if they're worth their weight in salt, they each ask, um, what are you preaching on? Where are you in God's word? What's going on and why? And I so enjoy that. We all need to be doing that. I think Peter and John were doing that. In Acts chapter 4, they were arrested for talking about Jesus. Now they called them in and charged them not to speak or teach at all, Acts 4. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They'd gotten to know God through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. They couldn't keep quiet about it. You who read your Bible so much, do you tell anybody else what you're reading? We need to. We need to. Our cup should overflow. We're given the very words of God, promises, beautiful things that bring comfort and help to our soul. Others need to hear. Let's be active. Let's be sharing. Put some in an email. Put some in a text. Text me if you want to practice. Pastor, I read this verse today. I would love that. I may text you back. Let's share. And may God's word abound. And may God's word accomplish that for which he sent it. As Isaiah 55 promises, it shall not return to him void. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. What a precious gift it is to have this Bible in our hands and on our technology. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the living word. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit, the the one who inspired each writer and each word. Father, we thank you that the Holy Spirit gives us understanding and illuminates your word when we read it now. Father, we pray that your word would bear fruit in our lives for our own growth and for our good service of others, to others in your name. Father, bless us this day, this evening in your word. And in the coming year, Father, may it be marked by a love for your word and letting loose of your word upon the world. These things we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.